I'm Matt Downing, and welcome to Diving Deep EDU. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. The Diving Deep EDU podcast aims to have thought-provoking conversations that help listeners dive deeper into educational practices with a focus on teacher retention, recruitment, and burnout. Subscribe to the Diving Deep EDU podcast newsletter to get more information about this podcast and these topics. A link is in the show notes. Our guest today is Chuck Keller. Chuck is a leadership and instructional coach with over 20 years experience in education. Having taught at day schools, boarding schools, single sex, and mixed gender schools, Chuck brings a broad collection of experiences to his work with teachers and school leaders. Outside of the classroom, he is a motorcyclist, dog lover, baker, and aspiring author. Chuck, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. I want to start the conversation off by you telling me, telling us, telling the listeners a little bit more about the work that you're currently doing. Absolutely. Thanks, Matt. Um, I'm really excited to be here today. So as you said, I'm currently the leadership and instructional coach at Renaissance Academy Charter School in Phoenixville. Renaissance is a K-12 charter school, and we're all on one campus. So I am the instructional coach for that group of faculty. And that role gives me a chance to really be the person that helps to deliver the induction program to our new teachers, which is something all public schools offer. I also have been working on a new mentorship program that we've been implementing with our second year teachers as sort of a supplement to the work that we did in induction. Of course, any faculty that are a part of the school could work with me on any kind of coaching issues around their pedagogy that they want. And that goes for teacher leaders as well. Um, I previously taught third and fourth grade here at Renaissance. So it's a place I'm pretty committed to. Uh, My wife works here. My son goes to school here. uh, And it's just a tremendous group of people. So it's a good place to be. That's cool. That's cool that you've had different experiences there and to have a whole family vibe definitely enhances the commitment and feeling part of the community and moving forward. And the work that you're doing not only impacts, you know, yourself and your capacity, but also, you know, your own children and and your family and your community. So that's, that's great. Tell me a little bit about the mentorship program. I've been really interested in this idea and the impact of mentorship programs recently, actually talking to colleagues about, okay, how can we tweak this, you know, to have more of an impact on new teachers, especially. Tell me a little bit about some of the changes that you're bringing uh, to the mentorship program. Absolutely. So every public school in the state of Pennsylvania has an induction program. And and one of the reasons for that is uh, just logistical. When you get certified, you have a temporary certification and you have a certain number of years to accrue experience enough that you can apply for what we call an instructional two or permanent certification. And one of the boxes you have to check for the State Department of Ed is that you've completed a induction program. Uh, So that's really meant to help 
new teachers, especially novice teachers, not teachers Mm -hmm. that are just new to our school, but they're just new to the profession and you're coming in wide-eyed and excited and scared all at the same time. Give them, you know, a a group, a cohort to sort of work through that first year with to get lots of tips and advice about classroom management Mm -hmm. and grade book and conferences and all those different things that are going to be brand new to you. Some of the other leaders at the school and I were sitting down during one of our leadership retreats and talking about how your first year is really critical. And a lot of times people finish that year with a big sigh of relief, but Mm -hmm. but that doesn't really mean that you're now a seasoned, experienced (laughs) educator. You've just sort of gotten the scary part out of the way, (laughs) but there's so much more to have happen. And so our idea was to take some of our most experienced, most talented staff here and pair them up with the folks who completed the induction program the year prior so that in year two, they still have that sense of support, you know, that sort of warm blankie to snuggle up in that tells you everything's going to be okay, but you don't need it the same way that you do Mm -hmm. that first year. So we've left it pretty open-ended in terms of what it could mean. Um, If you look into mentorship, Uh, literature and research, you'll see a lot about trying to pair people in similar content areas or similar Mm. grades and preferably even similar just geographic location in the building to make it easier. Um, And we do that as much as we can, but in certain circumstances, you just don't have that perfect match. But what we found is everybody's got something to contribute and to add, even if it's just, oh my gosh, I had a terrible day. And your mentor says, come on over here, let's get a cup of coffee. We'll sit down and we'll talk (laughs) about it. Um, So it can be lots of different things from content and lesson planning support to a shoulder to cry on to aspirational things. You know, Mm. sometimes you get those new teachers who are super gung-ho and they want somebody to show them the next best thing right away. Yeah, that sounds great. A a couple of follow-up questions. Is it the same mentor that this new teacher had their first year of teaching or is it a different mentor? And then a a question to go along with that, because that's, you know, sort of a, a quick one. What do you think like a second year teacher, I'm sure there's, it's unique, right? For many different teachers, but what are some things that you're finding that they need to be successful? Good questions. Um, so one of the things that I've discovered is that the terms mentor and coach, and there's probably a couple others out there, mm-hmm. often get used fairly interchangeably. Yeah. And depending on which school district you're looking at and whose program you're examining, the terminology can get kind of confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way we do it here, there's uh, two of us, myself and our director of student achievement, who's been with the school since it opened, uh, we run the induction program. So there's lots of different teachers we pull in for different sessions. You know, we bring in like our special ed supervisor to talk about differentiation and 504s and IEPs so that yeah. they're getting expertise. Um But it's just the two of us that sort of coordinate and run that program. So we're really the face of it for all those new teachers. Um, The mentor program then is a a whole different 
cadre of teachers that work at the school and they're classified in two ways. We have people here on the evaluation spectrum who are called master teachers. So that's sort of our highest tier that you can reach. Those folks are all asked to be mentors to somebody. And then we have a, an in-house group of teachers that we call our teaching and learning group mm. that does a lot of professional development internally for the school. And those folks are also uh, part of our mentor cohort. It's interesting, the last point that you just said. Well, the whole thing was interesting, but your last point sort of got me thinking about another topic about mentorship I've been thinking about. Because as you're explaining this, it's evident that you're using a lot of people in-house, you know, different groups to do different things. And as they're growing, they're supporting. And we've been thinking about the importance of mentorship, not just for the mentor, um, not just for the mentee, but actually for the mentor, right? To build capacity, to make them feel valued, to have them grow. What have you seen the benefits for the actual mentor as opposed to the mentee being involved in a situation like this where they're, you know, a leader and they're helping and they're sort of showing the tricks of the trade and their craft that they've spent years, you know, forming, whether it be in education years, but then also in practice years. What what have been some benefits for the actual mentor? I think in a way you just described some of it. I think that mm. there's a real sense of giving back, you know, that that really good internal yeah. feeling when you know you've done something that someone else values. Mm. And so I think that there's there's sort of two levels of it here. And and I think they're probably equally important. One of them is what's my next step as a teacher? And this mm. sort of answers the second part of your original question. You know, what now that I've kind of dusted off, you know, my skills and I've been in a classroom for a year, what happens now? Yeah. Um, and so there's that, that technological knowledge of, you mm. know, well, sort of here's the next steps you can take, or here's what it might mean to do uh, project-based learning in your room or to do stations or centers for these kinds of activities. And let's sort of expand your practice a little bit. Mm. I think of it almost like a pitcher, you know, like if you just came into the big leagues, your manager might tell you like, look, throw the fastball and the change up. Don't, <laughs> you know, like, let's just keep it simple. <laughs> but, you know, you get a, a season or two under your belt and you bring in your curve and your cutter and whatever else, <laughs> uh, and you start to expand it. Um, so I think that that's part of what they're giving. And I think what they're getting is a sense of, um, gratitude from the person they're mentoring. I think it, it's always good to feel like you have something to contribute. And one of the things that's been really nice is that we realize that even though everyone we've asked to mentor is a seasoned, experienced, exceptional teacher, people still have different skill sets. And yeah. you know, you've got your classroom manager, yeah. maestro, and you've got somebody else who can build an elaborate lesson in mm -hmm. you know one prep period. Um, and so people will sort of call on each other from time to time, I think, and say, hey, my That's mentee cool. is got these three kids, and I remember you dealt with something like this a few mm. years ago can I connect you to? And yeah. so it's, it's really also helping, I think, to build a sense of community mm. 
which the school is known for, but also trust for those people that are new to the school that this is a place where they can stumble a little bit and someone's going to catch them and say, don't worry about it. It's okay. We've all done it. Let's figure this out together. And for people who are working in a profession, you know, that's a difficult place to be with a lot of challenges to it. Mm -hmm. Having that trust in your colleagues is a pretty important thing to establish early on. Yeah, that's really powerful. As you were explaining that, I'm like, man, I want to work in a place like that, you know, where (laughs) where people are, are collaborating. And it's such, it's such a powerful place because you don't have to be a perfect teacher, right? Like none of us are, but taking the assets of and the strengths of different teachers for what they are and who they are, and then we can utilize that. And, you know, when we need it, and we can all work together to, you know, to have a really strong, you know, to have a stronger school and a stronger community. So that's exciting to, to think about that as you, were, as you were painting the picture. Now, we first met at a conference and you gave a presentation about some of the strategies you use uh, for new teachers, right? And it was very thoughtful and it was thorough. And I could tell that you spent a lot of time thinking about these things and implementing and tweaking and, and working on, on these things. And as you've already explained, that's you know part of the thing that you do within your job. Tell us, tell me a little bit about the ways that you help new teachers as they come into your school building. So let's let's break this up into two parts. Let's break this up into the part of the beginning of the year, and then we'll move on and we'll talk about what do you do for the teacher that comes maybe in October, November, December, right? Because yep. we're having, you know, it's more rolling uh, teachers in, it seems like, uh, as I'm talking to district leaders, than they've experienced in the past. So I'd be really interested to hear some of the work you're helping teachers do, new teachers at the start, and then as as they're rolling in to your school year. Yeah, and and we've certainly experienced that after the start of the year, higher mm-hmm. uh, numerous times. So I yeah. can I can definitely address both of those situations. The way it starts for a new hire is with our onboarding process, um, and that could potentially be now. Uh, so. We have somebody coming in tomorrow, actually, that I'm going to meet who's going to teach Spanish for us next year. But we knew that we had somebody leaving, so we'd already posted the role. We found a great candidate. They agreed to the contract. So part of their onboarding day is, you know, getting a laptop and being told what all their logins are and uh, finding out about benefits from HR and that kind of stuff. But I also get a meeting slot with them on that day, and it, I really love it because it's my <laughs> chance to come in and be like, look, I'm not, you know, you don't have to take notes. Like, this is just a chance for you and I to hang out. Here's mm. what my role is. And to start to lay that groundwork of this is a place where you can stay. We've got people mm. that have been here 10 years, 15 years, 20 years since the doors opened and they're walking the hallways right now. Like you can dig in here. Mm. And as we were talking about earlier, you're going to trip, you're going to stumble. All of us do. It happens to everybody, but here's like six different people whose job it is to make sure that when that happens, you get picked up, dusted off and we get you, you know, 
situated again. So mm. the only thing you have to be willing to do is to be a little bit vulnerable about where you're at. If you have questions, ask questions. If stuff's confusing, say it's confusing. And I usually finish that session. I, I give them a little background on the school and its history and some things as well. But the thing I really want to make sure they understand is people want you to be successful. Mm. And so the last thing I say to them before they walk out the door is, look, you know, you've you've either heard of Helen Keller before, or maybe you've purchased Keller's butter at the supermarket. So that's my name. If you <laughs> don't know who to ask, just start typing Keller into your email and shoot me a message. And I either know the answer or you and I will go find it together, mm. but don't hold on to it. Yeah. So that's, that's sort of my first interaction with them. Um, if we, if we get them at the beginning of the year, we have two to three days of new teacher in service before the rest of the faculty come back. Okay. And that's, you know, very intentionally trying to slow things down a little bit and not force them to drink from the fire hose like all day, every yeah. day. Um, yeah. So it's time in their classroom. It's time with curricular leads uh, to get them textbooks and resources and unit plans. Uh, it's time to figure out where the closest bathroom is to their classroom mm -hmm. to learn the fire drill route, you know, all those sort of yeah brand new things that you've got to figure out before the rest of the faculty come back and it feels, you know, a little overwhelming and everybody knows each other already and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but the way I think about it for those folks also is there's different kinds of concerns. There's their pedagogical concerns. You know, do I, do I really know my content? Do I have the right instructional skills? You know, can I pull this off as a teacher there's institutional things like, you know, what's the adult culture here? What are the norms of behavior? Um, where do I park? What do people mm -hmm. do at lunch? Do they eat together? Does everybody sit in their own classroom? What am I comfortable with in that mm -hmm. world? And then increasingly, as I'm sure you're well aware, there's a ton of technology stuff to understand mm -hmm. from hardware you know, maybe yeah. you're a Microsoft person and you just got handed a MacBook to software programs that give kids a hall pass or send them to the nurse and track how long they've been gone to mm -hmm. your grade book to, you know, and everything else after that. Um, so it's trying to boil all that down, I think, to the most mm -hmm. essential things and, and spoon feed at the beginning and you know a couple of weeks in we open the window a little bit more and say okay you can also do this and then mm. a month in open the door a little bit more and and feel out where people are you know and and yeah. as i said before you'll get people who walk in the door and it, they feel like a seasoned teacher by the end of september and you're just blown away mm. and you know it's it's in those moments, it's almost like there's a teacher gene and they have it. And <laughs> you just know, like as a coach, I think to myself, well, I'll keep checking in on them, but I don't need to worry about this person. Yeah. They're going to be fine. I probably need to learn from them. And then you've got your other people who, 
make it to Halloween and they still look like a deer in headlights and that's okay. <laughs> it just means that they're different and they have different needs yeah. than that other person. And so you, you try to meet them where they're at. And yeah, that's great. I think a lot of it also is, is this is something I talked about in one of the presentations. I don't know if it's the one that, that you and I met during, but especially in teaching, I think people come to the profession and behave in their occupational life more or less the same way that they do outside of it. You're the same person when you get to work that you were that morning when you woke up and made your kids breakfast and walked mm -hmm. the dog. I don't know that that's true if you're an accountant or a courtroom lawyer or something like that, where maybe there's a persona that you adopt for work that's, that's different. Um, and, and I bring that up because I think that human beings, you know, we know from other kinds of research, what things humans need, you know, we need connection. We need to feel like we belong, like we're part of a community. Uh, we learn from each other and from our own experiences. Uh, we need to feel a sense of safety. You know, you've got, mm. uh, Maslow's pyramid and, you know, sort of, foundational levels of safety need to be taken care of. And, and I think we need to be seen and heard and have an experience that we're an individual. And mm. so for teachers, I think those are the things that matter the most in the beginning. And that's what I think we try to establish for people is that we see you, we get you, we'll find ways to mm. bring on what you need at a pace and rate that works with where you're at. Yeah. I love how you're trying to slow it down and pick out the most essential pieces. And it also seems like you emphasize the importance of the relationship and the experience and building into a community for the long term, not just for this year, but you're there to support them. It seems very intentional, very thoughtful, you know, your, your approach what do you do for a teacher that comes in in November 1st, right? Like someone leaves or, you know, whatever, who knows the situation, why someone comes in November 1st. How do you uh, apply that thoughtfulness that you have for the onboarding? Like you explained, you're onboarding someone right now and they're teaching next September. They'll have this time you're meeting with them. You're probably giving them stuff over the summer. You're probably laying out all of this stuff. Then they have these other three days. Then they have the new teacher, like everyone comes back. What do you do for that teacher that comes in in November? Yeah, it's it's a crazy scenario. <laughs> it's it's a whole different ballgame because it truly feels like they need everything mm -hmm. that day. Like, you know, whatever that first day is, they walk through the door, you want to hand them all of it and say, yeah. you're going to need this tomorrow. And, and in a way, I think teaching, regardless of when you start, is sort of unique in that way. Like if I were an accountant, I don't think I'd show up my first day of the job and they would hand me 50 accounts and say, here you go, best of luck, <laughs> you know, the bathroom's down the hall on the left, and you would take on full responsibility of your role right. immediately. But that's what happens. You know, we, we mm -hmm. take a day to onboard somebody. And then the next day they're standing in front of 28 kids who are saying, you're not Mrs. Jones. <laughs> you know, are you going to be funny like her? Are you going to be strict? And like, it's, it's bananas. What yeah. has to happen? It's funny. Um, 
But I think even more so at that point, you have to turn the tap a little wider and let a little more information flow out a little faster because they need it. But I try to think of it as like, it's pretty easy for me to flash back to my first day in a classroom. And I thought I was totally ready and so confident (laughs) and so prepared. And the doors to the building open and kids started coming in and I flipped out and was scared out of my mind. And these were eight-year-olds. So how (laughs) terrifying is an eight-year-old? But it's, it's really trying to do a dance of I've got to get you a lot of information right away, Mm. but I run the risk of completely overwhelming you. And I can't do that because I don't want something to happen. That's going to make you not feel okay here. So I think part of it for me is trying to be around more, Mm. you know, if I've got my group that's in induction that started with me in mid August, and then I've got this person who came on, you know, at the beginning of November, they're going to see me a little bit more than the other folks because they need me more. Um, And we have other things in place, like every two grade levels has what we call a lead teacher. So when I taught third and fourth for part of my time, I was the lead teacher. And so they've got that person they can go to and say, what's going on with this? What's going on with that? And that person's probably physically proximate to them. You know, they're, they're close in terms of how many doors away they've got a curricular person who they can reach out to, to say, you know, I, I can't figure this lesson plan out. I don't know what to do about this. Um, but more so the curricular folks will often go out of their way for those mid-year hires to say like, look, I realized that you were coming. I knew this situation was going to be crazy. Here's your first three weeks of lessons. Like I already wrote them out for you. Everything's got links in it. You know, your worksheets are already printed. You just have to look at it tonight and execute it tomorrow. And then look Mm -hmm. at, you know, two days from now and then execute it the next day. Sometimes they'll even help with grading for a little bit just to sort of, ease you into the systems and standards and expectations around, you know, different ways that grades and content areas approach things. So it, it's not hand holding in the sense of like teaching for them or taking over things Mm -hmm. completely, but it's trying to say, you know, we'll walk together for a while. And as you start to feel okay about stuff, just say so, and we'll pick up another piece or I'll, back off and spend a little less time and a little less time and we'll see where we end up. Yeah. That's cool. But it's, I mean, it's a challenge (laughs) period. You know, I don't, if somebody out there has a different answer that's working really well, you know, please look up Renaissance Academy and shoot me an email. As you work with new teachers, right? What do you think they think is their biggest need? So as you're working with them, as you're talking with them, as you're sort of narrowing down to to sort of what they desire, what they need, like like where's their sticking point? Where's the point that's causing them great anxiety and stress? And again, I realize everyone's unique, but is there a couple, one or two things that are that are jumping out as common themes of what teachers new teachers see as their biggest need i think so i think one of the ones that jumps out to me that seems to span 
grade levels. And it's, it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. to, to be in a K to 12 campus because you get to see all different sorts of circumstances throughout a day is balancing what's going on right in front of you. You know, the cameras are live all the time. Like there's mm-hmm. a classroom full of kids in front of you that are doing things and asking you things and, and whatever with all of the ancillary stuff, like the, I need to log into the hall pass software and make a pass while I'm still carrying on this lesson. I need to, you know, put in this referral into this system so that it goes to this place, not that place. And I've got to remember Mm -hmm. which software thing that is. And I've got to get it all done during my prep period, which also includes, you know, going to the bathroom, finding my colleague, calling this parent. And, and so I think that it's, it's just that, like, I don't just walk in and teach these lessons that I'm excited about. Yeah. But there's all these other things that also mm-hmm. fall into my bucket and I don't know how to prioritize and sort of, you know, the juggling metaphor of keeping all the balls in the air. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably the one that stands out the most. After that, I think it's a, a question of like, what's my style? You know, like you can watch the person across the hall who seems really seasoned and in control and you hear their kids laughing at their jokes. You think, wow, I'm going to be just like that guy or she's amazing. I can't wait to to be Mm -hmm. that teacher. But it's not necessarily you. And so you can try sort of different personalities on and see where you end up. But I think that it takes a little while to kind of figure out how you're going to do it that's authentic to you that's not just the technical aspect of here's the lesson that's interesting and that's what sort of like writers say right like as you're writing you need to find your authentic voice or it's not exactly real but and same thing with teaching yeah that's an interesting parallel there as you've been working with new teachers as you've been trying different things as you've been tweaking and trying and you know doing all these things What's something that you're like, oh, wow, like that was really successful. I didn't expect that. Or, oh, wow, that was that was a nice change and that had a big impact. Or, oh, wow, that was the new teachers really felt supported through that through that change or that support that we provided as a school for those new teachers or for that specific new teachers. Anything come to mind as you think about that? There's, there's two things that come to mind. One of them um, is a change that we made to the induction program. Um, we use a book called Teaching with Love and Logic that okay. um, the school did a book study on years and years and years ago uh, before I even was first hired as a classroom teacher. And it really stuck. The whole school read it uh, from head of the school all the way down to, you know, the teacher aide in a kindergarten classroom. Uh, and it's it's largely around a, a two-pronged approach that you need to demonstrate empathy to students in order for them to be able to listen to you and sort of care mm. what you have to say in the first place. That's true, but you also need them to understand that actions have consequences and that they need to develop the ability to take responsibility for themselves as an individual. And, and so that kind of is a, an underlying 
philosophy, I guess, almost of the school. And we talk a lot about it in the induction program. Everybody that gets hired gets a copy of the book. Uh, and we often have chapters that are due um, to be read prior to one of our induction meetings. And we'll have some you know, prompt questions to encourage conversation around it. And that's all great. And it's, it's a really cool book. I encourage you to look it up if you haven't. But people tend to want to know, like, okay, that's a neat philosophy and I get it, but what am I going to do tomorrow mm. when I walk back in my room and Jimmy loses his marbles again and like I need a skill. And so the guy that I, I work on induction with, we tried to build more of a workshop approach into the program this year using some of the ideas from Love and Logic but allowing time in those meetings to to do, not just to talk about, not just mm. to listen, but to role play and to act things out and to, yeah. you know, give people different scenarios and say, okay, you're the student and you're the bad kid and you're the teacher and you're the this and okay, go like, mm. and then sort of talk about it and share different ideas. And I think not only the safety of realizing like, Hey, none of us have any idea how to solve this problem. So at least it's not mm. me. Like, you know, there's, there's a good feeling in a way about realizing you're not the only one. Um, but also again, it's that like everybody's got different strengths, even when you're brand new. And so somebody says something about something they tried in their room and you're like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I'm going to do that tomorrow. I don't know why I didn't think mm. of that. Teachers are amazing thieves. Right. Anyone that's ever done classroom observations, that's the greatest part. You walk into somebody else's yeah. room and you're like, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. I'm stealing that and bringing that to my room. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, I think, one of the biggest things. Teaching's in the news and all of these things. And a lot of times it's in a negative light. Like teachers are leaving the workforce, which, as I'm talking to researchers, I, some people might be hyping that up more than what it is in reality, but that's for a different conversation. You know, or there's this issue, or like, why are teachers going into teaching? But we're seeing, and you're seeing, people are still coming into teaching. What do you think makes teaching still an attractive job, even with some of this negative commentary that we're hearing in the news about the teaching profession like, why is teaching still a great profession for new teachers to come into it? And why is it a great profession to have for someone as they progress, you know, through their life? Yeah. And I'm going to give you a super biased answer. <laughs> um, and, and I say that to people when I have that onboarding meeting with them. You know, I say, I think this is a phenomenal school to work at, but I work here. My wife works here. My mm -hmm. kids go to school here. <laughs> like, there's a, there's a bias. But I, mm -hmm. I love teaching. I career changed. I didn't start out as a teacher and I think I ended up where I'm supposed to be. And so I, I do think that there's certain people that are just wired for a different sort of experience. They don't grow up thinking about how they're going to make their first million and the mm. mansion and the cars and all these things that they're going to attain. They're, mm. they're just wired differently, whether it's, you know, more empathic or altruistic or whatever yeah. the case may be. And, and I think a lot of those personality types are drawn to teaching 
And to me, the big thing is teachings and opportunity to provide somebody with the things that are going to help them flourish, Mm. whatever those things might be. And it's going to be different from one kid to the next, one year to the next. It's, I don't know, it's probably a good time of year for a gardening analogy. So (laughs) my wife and I spent a bunch of time outside this weekend. And if you, if you've got a plant it's got conditions, you know, it's full sun, part sun, it yeah. wants dry soil, well-drained soil, whatever. But if that plant, your student, you know, gets the right amount of sun, gets the right amount of water, they're in the right kind of soil, they're not choked out by other weeds, that plant's going to flourish. And to be able to go to work every day and be a part of nurturing a student and in my case you know trying to nurture teachers to help them have an opportunity to flourish it's it's a humbling opportunity and it's certainly a profound responsibility but it's also as anyone that's stuck with the profession knows it's a pretty remarkable feeling when you're successful and i think people are going to stay drawn to that i mm. wish we could fix some things that would make yeah. it even more attractive yeah but i think people still want that feeling yeah thanks for pointing that out chuck it is time for the final word what would you like to say to close out this podcast my final word is going to be to the people that are in the profession at the moment and that is if you're doing this work keep fighting you came Mm -hmm. into this work for a reason what you do matters so take care of yourself speak up for yourself and know that what you're doing matters every single day. Yeah, thanks for that. Before we end, who do you want to give a shout out to? I, I can't take uh, this opportunity without mentioning my wife. Uh, bias, again, acknowledged. But truly, she's the most talented and dedicated teacher that I've ever met in all the different settings I've been in. If teaching, you know, God willing, became the NFL, she would have a Jalen Hurts type contract. Um, she's, she's that good. Um, but also to all the teachers and administrators and staff at my school, there's a crazy hardworking bunch of people here. And I feel quite privileged to have the chance to work with them all. Um, it's, it's inspiring to be around people that you see pouring their heart and soul into it every day. And it makes you want to do your work that much harder as well. Chuck, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast and all your insight. Listeners, thank you for joining us on the Diving Deep EDU podcast. If you liked this episode, subscribe, rate, review, and share it out. Until next time. Wow, it's time to reflect. That's astounding. You've been checking out the podcast from Matthew Downing. Hope you like diving deep like a scuba diver. And the show provoked hope. That's our true desire. 